that it is active, it's living, that it speaks to us in ways that we could never fathom without your Holy Spirit leading and teaching and guiding us. So I pray this morning that as we look into your word, God, that you would lead us, guide us, that your Holy Spirit would teach us what we need to hear. If there's things in our hearts that need to be changed, God, may your Holy Spirit do it. It's not me. It's your Holy Spirit that will do it. So we pray, God, that you would lead us and guide us. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right, well, this past month, as you know, we've been looking at the fact that we as followers, we've been talking about that we as followers, we are the church, right? We've been talking about that, that we are the church. And as the church that we've been given really this uh, direct mandate, or what we've been talking about, we mission, uh, the, the mission by Jesus himself. Jesus himself has given every single believer as us that make up the church a specific mission. And we've been talking about that mission being a mission to make disciples. That's our mission. People who are disciples, we talked about that disciples are people that are learning to adhere to and imitate the life and the teachings of Jesus. That's our role to do that. Not the role of the pastor, not the role of people that just seem like effervescent and they've got all this, they're outgoing. And all. It's all of ours. And we've been talking about all what that might look like and the different ways that can happen. Yet an important truth that we've really been looking at and Number one, if you want to fill out your little sheet there on your notes, really we've talked about the fact that this mandate or this mission that we have been given was not meant to be undertaken alone. And I think this is where the mission breaks down so often where we don't do it because it's scary. It's scary to share our faith. It's scary to sometimes speak the gospel into other people's lives when we know it might be something that they don't want to hear or even our fellow believers when we need to help them see what, they're, what they need to see is true about themselves in Christ. It's hard to do that. That's why we see we need, we need each other to help one another to do that. We need each other's encouragement so that we can stay focused. I need that. I can get wrapped up. I'm, like I've said, I'm a professional Christian, okay? I get paid to be a Christian in a sense. But you know what? I get off track all the time on stuff, just all constantly, because I can get down a rabbit hole of what I think needs to be done, and my flesh gets in the way. So I need you. We need each other to stay focused. We saw that as followers of Jesus that we're, that we're part of a body and every single member of this body plays a vital role in helping one another to become mature in our faith in order that we can fulfill our mission. So really, it's every single person's job in this room, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, to help the body as a whole and as individuals to be mature in our faith. It's all of our responsibility, not just how I, what every, I just need other people to tell me. No, we need to help other people to be mature so we can be on mission. We also saw that maturity happens as we grow in unity. Remember, we talked about how this unity is so, so important as we share life with, as we talk about that phrase, with gospel intentionality. Gospel intentionality by speaking the truth of the gospel into one another's lives in a way that, that really helps our thinking to line up with what is true about Jesus and our new life. And I got to tell you, since I've been on this little path of my, of my own, because I know that I, if I'm going to teach, I need to teach to myself first. And this is rocking my world. I 
this whole idea of, of having gospel intentionality and thinking about every conversation I have with every non-believer, every believer, how am I supposed to speak the gospel into the situation? How do I speak the gospel, the truth of who they are in Christ, what's available to us in Christ? I got to tell you, after all these years in my life of being a believer, I don't think I've done a very good job at that. I've said, hey, I'll pray for you. I've said, hey, remember, Jesus loves you. But have I really been intentional about when someone is angry at someone and they've been hurt by someone saying, let's talk about what does the power of the gospel mean in your life in this situation? How does, how does Jesus then help you deal with that anger? How does the power of the risen Savior help you to love that person that you just are having such a hard time with? What does it mean to be, have got the, the power of Jesus inside of you to be able react to this experience in a way that honors Christ, honors everybody around you, and shows that you really, truly are a follower of Jesus. We don't talk like that, do we? Because we need to practice it. Remember, we talked about being gospel fluent is like being fluent in another language. You got to be immersed in it. You got to be around people that are talking to it. That's why, that's why, and really, we sent out this survey to you guys. We, we want to we wanna talk about what, how might God be leading us as a church to make sure that we're involved in one another's lives so that we're speaking this foreign language to each other so much that it just becomes natural. It just becomes natural to speak the gospel because we're around people doing it. We also saw that as last week, we saw that as we jumped in, we started last week our series in the book of Acts, we saw that, um, it, that God's method for changing people's lives isn't by our efforts. We saw that it's not by us, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it's Jesus who leads us by the power of the Holy Spirit in making disciples. I've always got caught up thinking, okay, what plan is there? What curriculum can I make sure everybody that I use and everybody use to make disciples? What should I do? How do these things I do when I get to one another? And that's not necessarily wrong, but I can get more caught up on that than I can realizing that, you know what, no matter what I do, it's the Holy Spirit's going to do any change. I can't fumble too much that the Holy Spirit goes, oh, maybe next time. That's not going to happen. It's his responsibility to change their lives. It's my responsibility to be faithful to speaking the gospel to my brothers and sisters in Christ and to non-believers. Yet, in addition to that, what we're going to see this morning as we continue on in, in the book of Acts, there really is this fundamental characteristic that is vital, a fundamental characteristic that is vital to being a church, to being people who are on mission, okay? It's the characteristic, really, that without it, without this characteristic we're going to see this morning, mission, being on mission to make disciples will likely get be underdeveloped forgotten, or even misguided. And that's why I love the book of Acts. It really just walks us through, how does God do this? How does God pull this off? If it's his role, how does, this, does it happen? So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to, as we go through, we're going to look specifically 
what the disciples do now. How do they go about t- learning about this characteristic? Well, how will they know? Because last week, remember, our passage ended with Jesus. Basically, he gave the disciples their marching orders, remember? He tells them, go wait in Jerusalem where you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you to fulfill your mission. Okay, just go there and wait. And he will be, he's going to come to give you that power to do this. So this morning, we're going to see what, this, what they specifically do in order to prepare themselves for the coming. Okay, it's coming. So what do we do? We twiddle our thumbs. What do we do? We're, gonna, we're supposed to go back to Jerusalem and wait. And what it turns out that what they do and how they do it is foundational to how you and I, how us as a church, how you and I as followers of Jesus are to be prepared to engage in our mission of making disciples. This is the first step we're going to see. This is the beginnings. And we can't miss this. This is very, very important. So let's jump right on in. We're in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. Let's start there. Speaking of the disciples, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and John and James Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these were one accord. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So here we see the disciples, they go, okay, they obey Jesus, and they obey his instructions. They return to Jerusalem, and they wait for the promise of the, of the Holy Spirit. Now, it says a Sabbath day journey away. This is really just to establish distance. In this case, it's about three-quarters of a mile. So they walk three-quarters of a mile back to Jerusalem. And once they're back, what they do is they go to the room, presumably where they had all been staying. And then we get this list of all these people that are included, with the, including the disciples, minus Judas, obviously, because by now he has killed himself. And the women that are mentioned here are those that had been witnesses to Jesus' crucifixion and to his resurrection. And we see that Jesus' mom is there and his brothers are there, is there, are there as well. Now, notice something, what he says here. Notice what he says, he says, and they were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. I think it's interesting that this is the thing that's brought out very first. They were with one accord devoted. It doesn't say anything else that they did. It doesn't talk about what they ate. It doesn't talk about what they even talked about, what was questions that were going on in their mind. It just says they were devoted according to the, they one accord devoting themselves to prayer. Now, this word that's used here for being one accord, what it does, it carries the idea of being unanimous, or it carries the idea of being of one mind. It mean, what this means is that these guys, these gals, where they were continually or they were constantly seeking the Lord together with single-minded purpose. That's what they were doing. Single, they all had a single-minded purpose. They were essentially one group of, a group of people acting as one. They were literally coming together. Number, number two on your notes there, we that the fundamental characteristic of beginning of the beginning of the church was a determined focus on seeking the Lord's will together. This was so fundamental. This is what this is what God used 
to prepare for everything that was going to happen. This was a determination to make sure that they were clearly hearing from the Lord concerning for how they're going to fulfill this new mission. They wanted to make sure. They wanted to have, they wanted ears, every, they wanted to be ready. So they knew that they had to be come together of the same mind and asking this of the Lord. And number three on your notes, one way that we see they sought the Lord's will was through continual, single-minded prayer together. Single-minded prayer together. So what does that look like? I mean, what might that look like? Does that mean we're trying to say the same things? I mean, what does that mean? And what does that mean for us today then? If this is so essential, if this is such an important fundamental characteristic about Knowing for sure, how do we be on mission? How should we do this? Well, number four in your notes there, it means regularly. It means praying regularly with other believers, asking with one mind that we would see and receive things the way God wants us to. That's very key at the end there, that, that we would see things the way that God wants us to. Because I don't know about you, because I like things the see the way things I see them and I want to do them. Even if it's, I feel like it's a passion that God has given me. Say, how do I do this? How do I go about this? It's what happens here is they were agreeing with one another. This is about agreeing with one another about the vital importance of truly knowing God's will. To not leave any doubt about how to proceed, not leaving any doubt about the direction we should head. That doesn't mean we know all the steps necessarily. That doesn't mean we're going to know how it's going to turn out. We just know the direction that God wants us to go. Show us where to go, and we will trust you for whatever is necessary to make it happen. Make sense? This is the, this is the mindset they had. You could tell there was nobody that was dissenting. There was nobody who was going, well, maybe we should try these different things. It's not a bad thing, but everybody was one accord going, we want to know the direction that God wants us to put us on. And that's what they were doing here, that we need to do that too. So let me ask you a question. How often have you found yourselves with a group of other believers that pray this way? I got to tell you, I, I, that's not my experience. I'm not blaming anybody except myself. How often am I in this when, where we're, where we're I'm with a group of people where we're praying for the single-minded focus that God will show us how, what his will is? What is your will for fulfilling the mission of making disciples? I mean, you ever been with, got with a group of gals or a group of guys and they just said, you know what we need to do? We need to just pray. We need to pray that God will show us how to be the missionaries that we're called to be. Because by the way, remember we talked about it? We're all missionaries. Every believer is a missionary. This is a matter of us hearing from the Spirit of God, how do you want us to fulfill the mission in the context that you have me in right now? How am I to do that? How often are we in where there's a single-minded focus on fulfilling our mission? Because really, if you think about it, so often our times of prayer when we come together primarily consist of things we would like to see God do in our life or God do in other lives. And this is good and this is right. We want to pray for each other. That is good. But here's the thing. It's really important that we remember 
We remember to make room in our times of prayer when we're together and when we're alone for knowing what it truly means and looks like to be individuals and a church that's about being about the mission to make disciples. Does this make sense? Now, I know I'm giving you like a recipe for how to do that. I'm just going, this seems to be what the Bible's telling us to do. I mean, we need to regularly be seeking God's will for our own life. We need to be doing that. Yet what this passage right here is teaching us is that to be a church, okay, to be people truly on mission requires that we continually, single-mindedly seek the Lord's will together for how we're to do this. Now, you can probably guess where one of the questions is going to be at the end. You can be thinking that way a little bit. What does that look like? I don't know. What does that look like? It could be anything, but it needs to be this thing. When we come together, not, I'm not saying every time we get together, we go, oh, we forgot to pray about how to know God's will is to be missionaries where God has us. No, just to think it's just important that we remember this is an essential part of being the body of Christ that we're spurring one another on to do that. All right. So now out of this, uh, this one accord, single-minded uh, praying, this focus of prayer with one another, we see God now begin to work. Okay? They focus. Now God begins to work. Let's start. Let's start. Look, verse 15. Look what it says. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Wow, the Bible does not hold back, does it? All his bowels gushed out and it became known in all, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. That's a crazy passage right there. And we could just dive into all the stuff that it has to talk about. Well, yeah, I thought he died. How'd he buy a field and all that? That's not the point. That's not the point of this. The point is at some point here, we see that as they're going about this single-minded prayer, Peter senses that it's time to initiate his leadership role. I'm sure the Spirit of God just starts moving in him after, after, after this prayer, okay? After looking, seeking God's will. And it's to, to take this initiative to address this really pressing, pressing issue with the other 120 followers of Jesus that happened to be in Jerusalem at that time, okay? It was the issue of Judas. It was the issue of Judas's defection and his death. Something needs to be done. He begin and check out what he does. He begins by acknowledging that Judas's actions were actually a fulfillment of Scripture. Scripture that described both his fate and what must be done to replace him. This was all in the Bible already. The Holy Spirit showed him this. Peter says that this issue is important because Judas was numbered among the 12 and that he had a share in ministry. It was, there was 12 allotted people that, in a sense, had 12 allotted parts of ministry. 
And Judas' part of ministry must be redistributed. Okay, this is what needed to happen. In other words, here's what's happening. What's happening is Scripture was demanding that that was not only acknowledging the consequences of this treachery, but he was addressing the importance of his replacement. Scripture was demanding, listen, you need to acknowledge that what happened here came, was already foretold it was going to happen. It was in the Word. It was already being talked about. Even what you're supposed to do with him afterwards really what this does for us, this models for us the importance of understanding the Lord's will for being on mission by viewing everything, everything through the grid and the framework of Scripture. Everything. Number five on your notes there. Viewing everything in life through the grid or framework of Scripture means allowing the truths of Scripture to speak to every aspect of life. Because it is completely trustworthy. Every aspect of life, every nook and cranny, everything about our lives, we need to run through the grid, run through this sifter of Scripture. What does it say to do? Because they easily could have gone, wow, that was a bummer. He, he died. We're down to 11. That's all right. We're going to get the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do it with 11. That shouldn't be a problem. No. Scripture I'd already told them this was going to happen and what they need to do about it. So there was already a roadmap. There was already a roadmap set out for them. What this means is believing that all Scripture can, is, can be trusted to rightly lead and guide us in all things. We need to believe that. And we also need that, okay, we can believe in Scripture, then I can go ahead and act on what it is telling me to do. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked with people, spent time with people, say, yes, I believe that about the Scriptures, but I don't know that I can do that or that I want to necessarily even do that. Or say, okay, I want to do that, but don't, not willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to give them the power and the courage to go ahead and go through with it, no matter what might be asking them to do. Usually it's a typically a way of thinking differently. That's usually what happens to us. The truth is because the scripture is divinely inspired and therefore infallible or incapable of error, we can trust in the word. We can trust in everything it says. Early Christian scholar Origen, who was around like in the 100 200s. He, said, he says this about Scripture. Look what he says. He said, the sacred volumes are fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. And there is no passage either in the law or the gospel writings of the an apostle which does not proceed from the inspired source of divine truth. Now, we're not going to get into, okay, how do you debate that when people say, blah, blah, blah. You know what? By faith, we know that the scriptures are infallible. We know that they are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, just listen to what scripture says about itself, about its, trust, its trustworthiness and its reliability. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, all Scripture. You mean that weird story in the Old Testament? Yes. All of it. 
I mean, think about the Bible studies maybe you've been a part of. I know the men, we went through some crazy books of the Old Testament last year, you know, Judges and things like that. We're going to be looking at Jonah pretty soon. I mean, these crazy things, you're just like, what? But I was amazed during those times with things that we learned out of these crazy stories of crazy evil and God working and all that stuff. That's what the Bible does. It teaches us. And it's, it's, it's allowed to do that. Another one, Psalm 19 says this, the law, I love this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, the righteous Altogether and righteous altogether, more to be desired are they than gold. That means been in the church for a long time. Even much fine. Remember that old song? Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping, in keeping them, there is great reward. Are the scriptures important? Oh my goodness, they are. Yes. Lastly, very short one, Proverbs 35. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. This is truth. For the Holy Spirit of God, this is truth. And we can rely on that. We can take refuge in God when we're just feeling bombarded. We're feeling horrible, bombarded by our own thoughts, by other thoughts, by intruding thoughts, whatever. We can take refuge in the Lord and he will be faithful in his timing and in his way. Number six on your notes, the truth is that just as Peter went to Scripture in order to understand and discern God's will, so too must we make it a priority to look to the truth found in Scripture for guidance and direction concerning God's will. It's so I prayed that God would give us direction. Well, did you search the Scriptures for it too? But I don't know where to look. You ever heard of Google? I mean, so often I have a subject in my mind. I think I need to know more about this topic. So I just type in that verse. And I just get, yes, it's so great. And I just let myself chew on that stuff. That's what we need to be doing. That's what he's saying. So we can have this stuff. We can know that we know where to go. We, We know the truth. We know that we can listen to it. We know that we can have it speak to us and not just assume, well, I asked God. I prayed about it. What our passage this morning is telling us, there's more to it than that. It was the scriptures that the Holy Spirit of God used through the prayers of the people to lead them and guide them to begin to be on mission. What a great example that is for us. Now, in our passage now, in our next passage, we're going to see that Peter explains actually this criteria for replacing Judas. Look at verse 21. It says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord just went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must come with us and be be a witness to his resurrection. Okay? So, not only are we seeing that it's vitally important that we as individuals of church regularly immerse ourselves in Scripture, 
so that we can view things through the grid. Now we're seeing that this is, when that happens, it continues to lead and guide in wisdom. He says, okay, this is what we got to do. Where the replacement basically has had to have been around for Jesus' entire ministry. They had to have been around for it all. We don't have to be telling them, oh yeah, wait, but that was wrong. This is what really happened. They had to be around for it all, from his baptism to his resurrection to his ascension. It seems in the next passage that there are a few guys that fit this criteria. Look what it says in verse 22. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who knows the heart of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry of the, and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and, Math- and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, notice that they don't go, okay, we got two guys that fit. These guys definitely fit. All right, let me see. Uh, you're look, you, yeah, you, you did really well on that other mission we sent you on, and you proved they didn't do any of that. What did they do? They prayed. They prayed right away. They didn't Rochambeau. They didn't do anything. They prayed. They didn't look over their qualifications. They, what they're doing, they are praying that God reveal to them the person that he has already chosen. You see, in his, they knew that in God's sovereignty that he had already chosen somebody. Someone was already picked. They just wanted to make sure that they were hearing clearly, crystal clear from God. They wanted to make sure there weren't in any way anything that they were doing, selecting a man for any reason that was wrong, no matter how small it would be, or no matter how selfish it would be. Well, more of us like that guy, and he seems to kind of side with us. His personality is like ours. None of that. Because the man had already been chosen. It was a matter of seeking the Lord to find out who that one was supposed to be. In a sense, what they were doing is heeding Solomon's instructions. Remember when he was talking to his son, when he was talking to his son, and he told him this very clear and wonderful passage that's in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all of your ways. Do what? acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Acknowledging doesn't mean like, yeah, I know you're there. No, acknowledging means, yes, I know you're there, but acknowledging means like I'm inviting you into this process. Without you, I cannot make this work. We will fail unless we just, and, and, and a lot of times it doesn't mean just like a quick, God, what do you want us to do? It means seeking the Lord, taking the time so often, I don't know if you find this, I find this in my life, when I make a decision or something's happened in my life, and I seek the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, I've been doing it for three days, what's up? Ever been, am I the only one that has that experience? No. We don't know how many days it was before Peter stood up. I mean, they could have been around for a month seeking the Lord and, and just praying and wondering. And it would have been easy for people to go, golly, it's taking forever. But they realize if it's taking more time, that means we need to do what more? We need to pray more. 
Because that prayer, what does praying do? It constantly helps us to understand how much we need God. It helps us to see that how impatient we are. It helps us to see that it, things are not on, his time, on our timetable, but they are on his. So he asks us to do that. Now, this whole casting lots doesn't mean that they just these dice to see who would, who would be. Casting lots was really a traditional and responsible Hebrew tradition before the coming of the Holy Spirit in order to, to discern God's will. But once again, what we're seeing is ultimately that seeking the Lord's will was what they were going to do through single-minded prayer together. They were going to come together and they were going to pray together. Now they're ready. Now the disciples are ready because they have demonstrated their deep desire to know God's will concerning the mission that God was about to give them. And they were doing it by pursuing single-minded prayer together and viewing this situation, viewing all situations through this, this grid or framework of Scripture now. Now they're in a place where they can fully receive this promised gift of divine power in order to fulfill their mission. You see what God is doing here? See what God does? How God lays some groundwork here? How people, he puts on people's heart to realize, I need to be seeking him. I need to be all in with wanting to hear what he has to hear. But so often we say, okay, I'm all in. Right? I'm in. You know I'm in, God, so show me. What, I want to serve. I want to be who you want me to Show me what's up. And what we see here, though, before that's going to happen, oftentimes there's going to be desperate times of prayer, and not just by ourselves, but pulling brothers and sisters in with us and say, can we pray together about this? Can we pray? Will you pray with me? I get so saddened when I so often hear someone say, yeah, we've been praying for months for this situation with our daughter or with our son or with our family, and nobody else knows about it but them. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's just not. We are to come together. You got a need, you got hurt, you got a situation where you need God to show up or you're definitely in trouble this passage today is telling us, get, the, get people around you, but do it together and learn to do it regularly. You want to know what your church is supposed to be doing? Then gather regularly and talk about it, but most of all, pray. What are, you, are you supposed to move? Are I supposed to take this job? How am I supposed to do this situation? Get together with other believers and pray for God's will to be known. And stop, we get so frustrated because we wonder why our walk with God is so ho-hum. It all starts here. It all starts here. The whole church started here. With seeking God through prayer, single-minded focus, to know his will together and in the word. Let me ask you, are you ready? Am I ready to allow the power of the Holy Spirit of God to work in and through us, be a church, or to be people that are on mission to make disciples who can in turn make disciples by being witnesses. Remember, it says, you will be my witness throughout the earth. Oh, man, that's a task. But the answer is yes. You're saying, you know what? I want that. I don't know what that means, but I want that. Or even if you're sitting here going, I think so. 
I, I think that's what I want. But really, we need to remind ourselves, remember, that what required is then is taking the next step. It's more than just wishing. So often we wish things were better. We wish we were closer with God. We wish we knew God's will for our lives. And we don't take that next step, both as individuals and as a church body, by willing, making it a, by willing to make it a priority to seek the Lord with this continual, single-minded prayer, both individually and as a church, along with dedicating ourselves to know what the scriptures have to say about this. I think you're kind of, you're kind of probably understanding why we sent out a survey. Is it making a little bit of sense now? We're trying to hear from the Lord. We're doing this stuff, but we're also praying. We want to know. And we want to know how to do this as a church, how we can help one another. A couple questions then. Let's, let's jump into a few. First question is, what are some advantages of seeking the Lord's will for fulfilling our mission to make disciples by means of continual, sing, continual single-minded prayer together? What are some advantages of seeking the Lord's will for fulfilling our mission to make disciples by means of continual single-minded prayer together? What, are some, what, what could possibly be some advantages of that? Just off the top of your head, because I know you can see the questions this week. <laughs> yes, Lana. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. What else? What are some other advantages of doing this? Yeah, making disciples. What specifically is it, 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 the advantage of doing this together? What's the advantage? Yeah, Carolyn. Yes, yes. Have you ever done that before where you've been around people and you start praying together for the same kind of thing and you notice how your hearts get more and more knit together? That's what it's supposed to do. Doesn't it make sense that the Holy Spirit of God is working within your same spirit, all the same spirit that's in all of you, and you're praying the same thing together, asking for the same thing passionately, and all of a sudden you start going, man, oh, talk about feeling like you're on a team Nothing's better than that. Anything else you can think of? Any other? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So true, Kathy. How often have you been praying with someone and while they're praying, they pray something and you go, oh, you go, yeah, wait, that's the, that's the mindset I need to have. And they weren't even praying for you. They were praying for, in general, but the Holy Spirit of God used that very thing. It really does. It encourages us. It emboldens us. All those things, doesn't it, that it can do as we pray. Okay, next question. What might this practically look like individually and as a church body? What could this, what, what, the stuff we just talked about doing, what might it practically look like? Some of it we're doing already, but what are some practical things? Well, just get together and 
smaller groups more often, more regularly, spending time with each other. Yeah, yeah. And some of you know what that feels like. I know one of the biggest joys, one of the joys I love is Jeremiah and myself and another guy get together on a regular basis and we just get together, look at the Bible and talk about it and then we pray. That makes my day, my week. <laughs> I'm serious. We, we all love that. And then we're in, and at, usually our text messages get more frequent after that time. Don't they? We, then we start going and someone says, oh yeah, how about da, 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 and then we start going because we prayed together to know God's will for certain situations and things like that. Yeah. What else? Any other things you can think of that practically? Yes. I was going to say um, texting prayers. Yes. Prayers. Yes. When needs arise. Yes. I know there's a, there's a texting. There's about 10 guys in this church that are on a text thread. And so often there's prayers that are texted out on, on that thing. It's yeah, just really cool. All right, next one. How can viewing everything in life through the grid or framework of Scripture help in determining the Lord's will for being on mission? How can viewing everything in life through the grid or framework of Scripture help in determining the Lord's will for being on mission? What do you think? So good. You put it so much better. I wrote my own note here afterwards. I said, keeps our focus divine, which sounds really hokey. But yours, <laughs> is that's so good, Carolyn. I love the way you said that. Exactly. Exactly. Anything else you can think of? How can viewing everything through the grid and framework of Scripture help determine Lord's will to be on mission? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It can be very affirming, can't it? Yeah. Good. That's so good. Good. Last one. Last one. How might we as a church body encourage or facilitate making this more of a part of our individual or corporate lives by answering the survey? No. How might, how, I'm sorry. How, how might we as a church body, these are just to throw out ideas, not anything, just to encourage or facilitate making this more a part of our individual or corporate lives? What do you think? You need to commit to each other and commit yourself in your activities. Yeah. And then it becomes something with a schedule or whatever. It just yeah. Brings you to yeah. Yeah, Todd, that goes, doesn't that go great with the conversation we had at our table at our Bible study last, to a man, our table was like, uh, we need to commit to being with one another. We need, we need other men in our lives. It was awesome. <laughs> it was great. Everybody said, we need something. But so often we get to, we need something. And that's why I asked, how might we as a church be encouraged to, f- to facilitate making this more of a part? Is there anything we can do beyond saying we need it? How about having the courage, if you're the one that feels that way, to not wait? Don't wait. Don't wait for a program to be set up. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Say, you know what? I keep saying this for years. I need another man or I need another woman in my life. Or I need a group of people in my life. Not to say that the church, we shouldn't be, we want to do that, help with that. 
But let's not let the enemy sidetrack us with all the other stuff that seems important when these conversations seems to happen. It seems this turns out to be the most important thing. But then we don't get to it. That's what the enemy's doing, man. That's what he wants to do to us. I'm, I'm, there, I'm right there with you. So let me, I want to encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to give you the courage and the strength to invite people into your life, to pray with, to read the scriptures with, to be single-minded with, so that you can know what is my mission. Because I have one to make disciples. How do you want me to do that, God? I don't know your word very well or whatever. We are all priests, all of us, priesthood of the believers, they call it. We all have a role to play. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, once again, it is powerful and that it is convicting and it is encouraging. And I want to pray for all of us, including myself, God, as we, as we desire so much. I know the people in this room, and I know that they desire to be on mission in a way that you would be involved so deeply right where they're at, not to necessarily have to change jobs or do whatever. God, I pray that you would just make it clear to us how in the context that we're in right here, individually and as a church, how you want us to make disciples, how you want us to go about having courage to and be involved in other people's lives, to step into their life, to speak the gospel, the truth of the gospel into our non-believing friends and neighbors and into our believing friends as well. Help us. God, we're desperate. We need you, God. As, as, As the disciples in that 120 we're praying, God, we want to join in that chorus right now. We want to join. We want to know. We want to know your will. And then we want to have the courage and the wisdom, and how to step out, and how to do that, God. For your glory, God, for your, you, you are amazing, and we want everybody, we want people to know you, and we want to know you better. Show us how to do that. We pray it all in the powerful, wonderful name of Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to go into a little time of